Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. It is uh, my pleasure to be able to come bring the word this morning as we kick off our new series. We titled it Out with the Old, Keys to Living a New Life. Um, Before we get into the word, I have a quick question for, for you and hope you indulge me. How many of you consider yourself a good or maybe above average chef? Okay, a few hands, all right. Maybe average. Okay, all right. So we have either above average or not great at all in this room. Well, you're in good company because I consider myself a below average, too terrible cook. Uh, The only thing that I have received accolades for is my cranberry sauce over Thanksgiving. Um, You have to taste it. Don't knock it till you try it. But for those of you who consider yourself terrible... I have a resource for you. Now, this was published in 2017, an an incredible resource. How many of you know the name Tom Brady? Okay, maybe like a couple of you. All right, now, Tom Brady, he is uh, the quarterback for the, you know, this team called the Pats. Uh, But in 2017, he published a cookbook. I don't think many of you knew that. He published a cookbook, and, and just so that I don't offend anybody, he decided not to call it a cookbook. He actually calls it a living document. Dishes out all the secrets of the star quarterback's heavily and strangely regimented diet. The TB12-aligned nutritional plan offers 89, di- 89 uh, recipes. Anyone guess? how expensive or how inexpensive it, it is. The cost. $50. If only. $200. $200. You can have Tom Brady's meal plan in your, at home, try it out this week, go on Amazon. Actually, if you do go on Amazon, it's sold out. Within weeks of it being published, it was sold out, which led us to ask this question. Who in their right mind would spend $200 to eat like Tom Brady? I mean, if you watch Tom Brady's Facebook show, that man is crazy. I wouldn't put myself through it, but there are people who do. As, you think, as I thought about that, it, it reveals... A certain thing about us. It reveals a certain part of our psychology. It reveals a certain part of how we think. There is a part of us that wants to better ourselves, right? How many of you would say, I, I think there is a part of me that could use a little bit of work. I think I need to. Yes, I, I see hands going up already. All of us would agree that there is a certain area, maybe, maybe two, maybe three, maybe all of our lives that seem a little bit out of, in chaos, seem a bit in disarray. We need to improve. And I would argue that's a great thing. But how we go about doing that 
sometimes gets us into trouble, sometimes leads us right back to where we started. Some of us, it, it's very much tied to your personality. It's very much tied to the way you are. Um, if, you, if you're a type A personality, if you have a goal, you're going to attack it. You're going to accomplish it. Maybe if you're like me, you're a little laid back. I had a goal of running a marathon like five years ago. I'm still working on it. Maybe by the time I, I'm 40, I may get there. Um, that's just the way I attack goals. It, it's a 10-year plan for me. So it's just tied to our personality. But the question I want to ask you today is, what can you do today? What can you do today to make your tomorrow better? Right? That's a question that we're often asking ourselves. Maybe it's your, um, just, just today we wrapped up our Financial Peace University, and I was talking to one of the people who attended that class, and he was talking about how today we can be wise so that we can live better tomorrow. We can give generously tomorrow, that we can live the lives that God has called us to live. And so looking out, how can, what can we do today that will affect our tomorrow? But so often, one of, the, one of the pitfalls that we encounter is we do all these things right now, and we may go a week or two. How many uh, January 1st gym resolution people here? I'm one of those. I made it five weeks, and then I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe, actually, five days, and, and kind of fell off. Right? So we attack it. We go after it. We're, we put all our energy and our resources into it. And somehow we fall back. We sometimes fall back into the same cycle of things. We've, we get back into the same friendships that we were trying to avoid. We spend the same thing, money on the same things that we're trying to be better about. We eat the same junk food that we said we, we, we swore off. But somehow there's something in us that just drives us right back. So what can you do today? And I'm going to add a little caveat to this next part of the question. What can you do today that is permanent for tomorrow? And so often we'll look at that question and we'll say, yes, we can do this so and so and so. But I would actually modify that question. How do we do it today so that we have permanent change tomorrow? When a lot of what we encounter, a lot of the self-help books, a lot of the, the quick keys about you know, how, how, how to be a better person, how to be a better friend, how to be a better spouse, or, or all of these things give us quick tips, and often we find ourselves reverting back. We all agree that we want a better life, and it's a good thing. But sometimes we do that in our Christian walk, too. As Christians, or even sometimes as non-Christians, we all want to be good people, right? We want to help our families, or we want to be good in front with our neighbors. We want to help those. You know, there's a disaster that strikes. We'll put the $2 at market basket on a, at the register there. I mean, we try to do these good things, but you could make the argument that we revert back to the same old ways, this morning, we're starting, as I mentioned, Pastor Rick mentioned, we're starting this new series in, in the book of Colossians within chapter 3. So before we get into it, let me give you a quick lay of the land. So Colossians is a, is a letter written by Paul. Paul, he's writing to the church in Colossae, and he's writing to them. He is in prison at this point. This is not a church that he had planted. As a matter of fact, one of his friends, Epaphras, had uh, planted this church, and uh, in their conversation, 
Epaphras mentions to Paul that the church is doing great, the church is growing, the, the people are being added to the, to the church, but false doctrine had kind of creeped in. So there is, there is all this great growth, there is a good church, a good community being built up, but there are false things that are being taught. And so Paul is writing, and he's writing to them, and he's combating some of these theologies, he's combating some of the things that they're going through. So in, in Colossians, the first couple of chapters, Paul takes a lot of energy and spends a lot of time talking about who Christ is, what, we, what theologians call Christology. There's a ton of Christology in the first three chapters. He talks about who Christ is, what he has done, how that affects us. And then in chapter three in, on, he transitioned, he makes this pivot to how that affects us, or as a matter of fact, how that should be manifest in our lives. And so today we're going to pick up at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read it, read it for you. It'll be on the screens. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, as we start this, Paul starts off with with this phrase, since. Some translations say, if then, or some translations, other translations say, therefore. And you've often heard it here at the church, whenever you encounter therefore, what is the question you ask? Man, the first service loved this. When you encounter a therefore, you ask, what is it there for? Get it? Let's try this again. When you encounter a therefore, what is the question you ask? What is it there Wonderful. So Paul is making, he's, he's bridging two different, two different teachings here. And so he says, if then this has happened to you. So let's, talk, let's explore what the if then is. He's saying, if then you've been raised to Christ. How is someone raised if something else hasn't happened before? And so for that, let's go back to Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and, and, and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul hears about the church, and, and, and through the Spirit, he's addressing something that's going on within the church. Remember how we talked about people wanting to better themselves, here you have a group of people who've come into the church, who've come into the body of Christ. They've, been, they've put their faith in Christ, but somehow they've reverted back to doing things the old way. They've reverted back to the old rules, to the old, old way of doing things. He's saying you're, uh, you consider it, you're dead with Christ. And I love it today, it's just a great segue, for, uh, I feel, for this message, because last week... We spend time 
reflecting on the death of Christ. We spend time reflecting on the work that he accomplished, the sin, the wages, the sin that he paid. And then on, on the third day, on Sunday, we, re, we rejoiced and we celebrated the fact that he rose again. He did not stay dead, but instead he rose again and he lives on forever. And then now Paul is saying, since you have died, and then again, he will say, since you've been raised up, there is just a great connection here. Christ died. Christ was raised up, and Paul is saying, you have died along with him. So now, let's ask the question, who is he talking to? Obviously, he's talking to the people within the church, people who have responded to the work of Christ, people who have responded to Christ dying on the cross, and they've said, God, we, this is something that I submit to. And he's saying, when you submit, when you put your trust in Christ, when you believe the first thing that happens is you die with Christ. The old you, the old Marvin dies the moment he puts his trust in Christ. The old person, the old, uh, uh, the way of thinking, the way of acting, the way of being dies with Christ. And what comes from that, as Christ is risen, so we are, so we're raised. And he, it, right off he's saying, you are raised with Christ. So let me go back to that question that we had asked. What do we do today so that our tomorrow will be better? Here we have a group of Christians who are trying to do things so that their tomorrows would be better. And they've come, they've died with Christ, but somehow they find themselves reverting back to the old laws. He's saying these laws that says do not handle this kind of thing or do not touch or do not eat these things. And he's saying these are all, these are great, but they have no value. They have no value. It's not going to lead you anywhere. And Paul is, he's connecting. Remember how we talked about so often the things that we do is connected to who we are. It's connected to our personalities. And Paul is saying, for us to really do the things that will affect our tomorrow, for us to really do the things that will affect our eternity, we have to consider who we are first. And so often we mess up because we have a wrong understanding of who we truly are, especially as Christians, especially as people, as children of God. We have an identity, and today I'd like to explore that. And first part of that, Paul says, you're dead with Christ. The first part of your identity is you are dead with Christ. And then he's, he moves on, gets to verse, uh, verse 3, and he's saying, in this meantime, he's saying all these rules, the regimens, the regulations, they don't yield life. They're binding you back they're binding you back into things that ought to, where freedom ought to abound. He's saying, it's binding you down. In Christ, we are dead. And then he moves on to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, we were raised with Christ. You see, what went into the ground came out. What went into the ground, the old one that died, came out new. What went in, in our sin, bound, broken, Christ raises up, fixed. Christ raises up a new person. Christ raises up a, a, a person that has the seal of God on him. A Christ raises up a person that has the identity of God on him. You see, our story, each and every one of us that has put our trust in Christ, our story is of us that have risen from the dead. 
We cannot tell of the change of our lives without talking about the resurrection. We cannot speak about new course and our conversation without referencing the resurrection. We cannot account for the new life or the, life, the, the privileges we enjoy or the hope that we have without accounting for the resurrection. The resurrection is why we are here today. If Christ had died and he never rose, we're here in vain. So Paul says, the, refer, the resurrection, us being raised with Christ, defines who we are. And once we define who we are, we're able to proceed. We're able to move on. We're doing the things that we ought to do. All of our life story traces its way back to that fountainhead, the resurrection of Christ, and by consequences, our resurrection. This is the question you have to grapple with. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus already, I hope you spend some time to think about This Christ who would give up his life for you. This Christ who would be raised up so that you and I would have access back to the Father. So that you and I would have access to what God has for us. You see, the problem when we don't have a proper understanding of who we are, it's almost like you you drive your car up to to the gas station, and you see two nozzles. One's green, one's black. What's the green? It's diesel. Your car drives on unleaded. You pour diesel into the car. What happens? It ruins it. Your car will stop running. Your car, it's a costly repair. It's so often when we have an improper understanding of what that is, is us trying to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, is us trying to be good people without the strength, without the power of resurrection. It's us trying to accomplish and live out what God has called us to live without the power of Christ. When we try to accomplish it on our own, there is only so far you'll run before it becomes a massive mess. Paul tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God's resurrection power is in us. Romans 8 verse 11, he says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit within you. We have been raised with Christ Because we're raised with Christ, Paul's instruction to us is simple. He's saying, because you were raised, set your mind on things above. Verses 1 and 2. Since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. One of my favorite things, especially as we're coming into spring and into the summer, is as you look around, Things are green again. It just brings joy to my soul to see green grass again, to see the trees are budding. As I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking back. Um, one of my favorite things other than the green is a well-manicured lawn. If it looks great, God bless you. I love that. So going back a few years, uh, I... We lived in Atlanta. My family still lives there. And as a, as a teenager, my job was to mow the lawn. 
And I remember the first time that I, that my dad basically in his infinite wisdom said, here's the lawnmower, go do it. No instructions, had to figure it all out. It got it up and running. And so here I am, headphones in, listening to my music, driving the lawnmower. Basically walking, walking, walking. I get from one side, make it all the way to the other. And I turn around, and what I had hoped would be a straight line looked like choppy waves. And I was like, all right, let's try this again. Made my way back, made my way back, just, you know, thinking, thinking, get back, it's the same mess. Tried it a few times, and this whole time my dad's out by the porch watching this mess, watching me hack up the, the yard, and he calls me over. He's like, all right, let's take a break, let's pause. What were you doing, and what were you doing wrong? And I was like, I, I don't know, I love straight lines, that's just the way I like to do things. It just will not be, it just will not go straight. And I blamed it on the lawnmower, I blamed it on the divots in the ground, I blamed it on everything else. He's like, no. What were you looking at? And then I realized, as I'm pushing this lawnmower, my eye is at the, right at the front. I'm going, well, don't you have to see where you're going? If there's like a stump sticking out the ground, don't you, I don't want to run over it, I don't want to fall, you know, all these excuses. And he said, no, try this. Go back to the beginning. Push the lawnmower, but instead of looking down at the ground, look at the fence. Look at that post, and that's your goal. Just do this. And behold, yes, straight lines. So often what we ought to do is to take our eyes off the grass and look up to the post. Take our eyes off of what is happening in the here and the now. Take our focus off of all the chaos and the media and all the noise and the voices around us and set our hearts above. Paul is saying, take your eyes off of what is happening on this earth. Take your eyes off of your circumstance. Take your eyes off of the storm. Take your eyes off of all these things that are coming at you. And instead, because you are raised with Christ, because that is a part of who you are, that is your identity, your response of this this being raised in Christ is to set your eyes above. Look at Christ. He's saying, look above, and then your life will start straightening out. Look above, and God's purposes will be fulfilled through, through your life. Take your eyes off the grass and look at the fence. You see, when our minds are focused down here, we're filled with worry. We're overcome with anxiety and depression. We're filled with doubt. We put our trust in the wrong things. We're filled with temptation. We, we yield to sin. We're filled with pride, making too much of ourselves. We're filled with greed. We pursue things that ultimately don't matter. Those are when our eyes are on the grass. The moment you take it off of there, the moment you lift your head above, your worry is replaced by trust. Your doubt is replaced by confidence in a Savior. Your temptation, you finally have power to overcome it. Your pride is replaced by humility. Your greed is replaced by an overwhelming gratitude towards, your, towards his generosity. When you take your eyes off of the grass and look up, there is a change in the way we live. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As a Christian, because of a consequence, because of the result of us being raised in Christ, we ought to think differently. And he continues in Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. It says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. When our minds are fixed on Christ and His mission, we pursue Him. And that is where we find change. If we're going to do anything today that will permanently affect our tomorrow, our first goal is to define who we are, is to understand, is to realize who we are. We are dead with Christ. We are raised with Him. And because we're raised with Him, we no longer have to, we're no longer bound by what is happening here today. Because we're raised with Him, there is nothing you cannot rise out of. I am raised with Christ, and there is nothing in my life that will keep me down. There is nothing that I cannot break free of because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives within me. That resurrection power lives within me. Paul is continuing in verse 3, and he says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. The third part of this identity is your life hidden in Christ. You see, our identity is contained in Him. More than Marvin the husband, more than Marvin one of the pastors here, more than Marvin the son, my identity is much bigger than what we label it. My identity is not the shows that I watch or the things that I enjoy, the things that I do, the, thing, the way I behave, the things that I pursue. My identity is I am a child of God redeemed by His blood. That is my identity. It's an identity that is sealed up in Him. You see, this identity is not one that's formed gradually. It's not developed step by step as we advance in likeness to Christ. It's not dependent on our graces or our effort. It's not a thing that is more or less complete as we are more or less holy people. It is our state of being formed at once the moment we believe. The moment we put our trust in God, he says, this is your new identity. The old you is gone. The new you is this. So often we make the mistake of, if only I do enough, if only I live the right way, then I would be a child of God. Saying no. You, can, you have the power to do the right things. You have the power to live the right way because you are a child of God. Because his spirit lives in you. Not the other way around. So often we mix up the order there. We say, if I do the right things, I'll please God. If I do the right things, I'll be a child of God. And he says, no, no, you have no power to do that. It's like, it's like diesel and, and gas. He's saying the power to live, the power to be comes from your identity. It comes from the fact that you are a child of God. Where do you find your identity? 
Is it in the temporary fleeting things or in an eternal God? You see, when our identity is tied to our actions, we become extremely insecure because our ability to perform is unpredictable and ever-changing. We rise and fall with our successes and failures. We feel treasured when we're successful, but tormented when we fail. We're desperate to keep the rules and regiments of religion to make ourselves feel like we're doing well, but we're constantly terrified that we will not measure up to the standard put before us. We lose ourselves in this battle. Paul reminds us to absolutely tie our identities to the unchanging, unflinching, unyielding, undeniably good, and unquestionable love of God. The God who says we are seen, we are known, we are valuable, we are loved. Paul reminds us that we are hidden in him. In this book, Pastor Rick mentioned just a few minutes ago, I'm going to close with this in in just a few minutes, but there's a devotion in here. It's a second devotion. And I love this analogy that that, uh, James Smith makes. And let me, if you would indulge me, let me read this for you. So this is James Smith writing. For almost 20 years, I had a beat-up, old, broken-down mower, continuing on the whole landscaping uh, illustration here. Each spring, I dreaded going to the shed and pulling it out and fighting it all summer. Two years ago, it finally gave out, and it was time for a new mower. So I went eagerly to the hardware store and bought a brand-new, self-propelled, state-of-the-art mower. It was a thing of beauty. It started with one pull, it mowed the grass with ease, and and the self-propelled mechanism seemed to pull me along for the ride. I no longer was mowing. I was taking a stroll behind the powerful machine that practically mowed without me. The following spring, I went out to get the mower from the shed, and there it was, all shiny and ready to eat grass. I began mowing, and about halfway through the backyard, I noticed that I was sweating profusely. My arms and legs were exhausted, and I had two thoughts come into my mind. One, I am out of mowing shape, and two, this mower is really heavy and hard to maneuver. Then it hit me. I was not using the self-propelled mechanism. The mower by itself is rather heavy and hard to push and turn if you, like me, are not bright enough to squeeze the lever that activates the power drive. Once I squeezed the lever, behold, the mower took off without my effort, and I was once again along for a nice stroll. Happens with our identity. This is the identity that God has given us. But sometimes we take our hands off of the lever. We say, you know what? I think I can do this by myself. And we end up sweating. We end up exhausted. We end up not being able to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish when he's given us the power, the power that is residing within us, the the same resurrection power that would accomplish his purposes if only we would tap into it. And then finally he says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. I'm remembering back to my last semester in college, and, and it's an exciting time. It, it graduation's just right on the, around the corner. It's the end of an era. And I noticed that there were two kinds of people in my class. 
The first group of people were the group of people that had the next thing lined up. They had a job or they just got accepted into higher education. They were, they were going to go move forward. And then there was this other group that had no idea what was next. Now, you can imagine which group was stressed, which group was going crazy. Paul here is saying, God has already lined up your next. This world, everything that we know right now, will come to an end. It will all go away. It will all fade away. And when it does, Christ will appear in glory and we with him. We will appear in glory with him. He's saying, the end will come for all of this, but we will remain with him. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to make their way back. See, I will appear with Christ and my future is secure in him. Going back to that original question, what do I do and how do I do what is of consequence today that will affect tomorrow? See, so often we jump, our instinct is to jump ahead, to jump into work, to do, to work hard, to try even harder when we fail. But Paul reminds us, get your identity right. Understand who you are and the actions will follow. When we can figure out that first part, when we, when we figure out that we are children of God, we are bought by his blood, we are and our identity is in him, then the actions follow. This is basically what he's saying. Become in experience what you already are. Become in experience what you already are. And what you already are are these four things. You have died with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You're hidden with Christ. And you will appear with Christ. Become in experience what you already are. And as we close, I just want to draw your attention as this, these four statements are up on the screen. There is one four-letter word that so often we overlook, and that is the letter with, or the word with. You see, none of this is possible if not for the with. You see, we can't accomplish any of this. We can't accomplish anything of substance. We can't even think about future. We can't think about eternity if not for the with. I am with Christ and He is with me. I died with Christ and I'm joined with Him. I am raised with Christ and there is nothing that I cannot rise from. I am hidden with Christ and my identity is completely secure in Him. I, am, I will appear with Christ and my future is secure in Him. What is it that you're trying to accomplish today that you're trying to accomplish on your own power? That you're trying to accomplish having let go of that lever? What is it that you're trying to do today that if only we would submit to the witness, being with Christ, we would accomplish. So this morning as we close, as we bow our heads, 
Take a moment. Take a moment to surrender yourself. Take a moment to seek God. Take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Saying, God, build in me. Build my life based on this. Based on the fact that I am, I have died with you. Based on the fact that I am, I am raised with you. Based on the fact that I am hidden. I am secure in you. And based on the fact that I will appear one day in glory with you. And if you're here, maybe you haven't experienced this life. Maybe you haven't experienced what it means to be these four things. I would invite you to give your life over to the Lord. Just seek Him. If you have questions, we're always here to answer those for you. But I would ask you to do that. Surrender your life to Him this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness. But we thank you for your word that reminds us of who we are. That we're indeed, we've indeed died with you, been raised with you, hidden with you, and will appear with you. And Lord, I pray that let the, that this truth sink into our lives and inform every aspect of the way we live, the, every aspect of the way we interact with each other, the way we see ourselves, the way we set goals, the way we live. May that be impacted, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace upon us today. Transform us by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.